Well, this is our second message in the series, Questionable Beginnings, and the series is really about God's way of working so consistently in the hearts and lives of those that have put their trust in him so that he can help us to become who he always meant us to become and to do what we were always meant to do. He works in us mostly through his word so that we can grow and become the kind of people that he always intended us to be. Now, we want to look at someone to start out with today that uh, gives us an interesting example of the hidden potential that any person can have if they might be willing. I want to introduce you to a lady on screen. Her name is Christiana Plews. And as you can see, she's a Blue River, Oregon fire chief. September 14th, she was at home. You know, she's just like anybody else. She's got a family. She's got two sons, husband. And she gets a call to come out. There was a small grass fire. As soon as she entered outside the door, she said that she had the worst feeling come over her because she knew that the conditions had been dry for some time in the area, and she felt the winds picking up like crazy. Five hours later, she was urging the entire 20-mile radius area for people to quickly evacuate, quickly leave their homes behind. When all was said and done, 308 structures were destroyed. Thousands of people and businesses were homeless. She herself lost her own home and the fire station and her volunteer fire, fire department uh, workers. There was eight of them that lost their homes as well. Now, the thing that I find amazing about people like her is this. She doesn't have to do this. She, she chose to respond. These first responders, these people like firefighters, police, our, our military, our uh, EMT people, our, our uh, nurses and doctors and, and many others, these people, they are the ones that run toward danger when most of us are trying to run away from danger. They, they run toward it. They make our problems their problems. When you and I are helpless, confused, lost, uh, in great pain, in tremendous need, these are the people they come to rescue us. They are rescuers. It's an incredible thing to think about. This lady, in seeking to rescue others, lost everything herself. And the people that do this, they know that that's a possibility. Now, why is this important to us as those that identify with Christ? And I'm just going to assume that as we sit here today that, that at least a large number of us would consider ourselves to be Christians, meaning that we have made a decision at some point in life, a thinking, intelligent, mature decision that let the rest of the world put their trust in who they want to and follow who they want. I'm putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him because I trust him. I'm going to follow him fully and I'm going to follow him freely and I'm going to follow him forever. And you can watch me. You're going to see that his word is what's going to govern my life, change my character, change my behavior because I actually trust him. Folks, that's what it means to be a Christian. Nothing less. So I'm going to assume that many of us in here today, we are Christians. We're Christ followers. But because of that, we are called to be rescuers. The very word Messiah, Christ, it has the connotation, the Messiah, the Christ, is a rescuer. He comes to rescue us. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall rescue his people from their sins. So we are called the body of Christ in Scripture. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and in Romans 12 that we are now the body of Jesus, we that are his followers. Therefore, we are rescuers because of our connection to Jesus, the ultimate rescuer. 
In, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37, Jesus saw multitudes, masses coming to him, and he got his disciples around him, and he said, he said you see them all? You see them? They're, they're like helpless sheep. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. They're in desperate need. And then he said to his disciples, he said, listen, guys, he says, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful. Meaning, those that need to be rescued and are willing to be rescued, it's plentiful. But then he said something behind it. Does anybody know how to finish it? The labors are few. The harvest is plentiful. The people needing to be rescued and that will be willing to be rescued is plentiful, but the labors are few. Now, we're going to meet in Scripture today uh, a tremendous rescuer, one of the greatest rescuers that God ever raised up in all of history but I want to make a point here at the start because this point we're going to come back to at the end and it's critical for each and every one of us sitting in this room today this individual that is one of the greatest rescuers that God ever raised up he almost missed out on all of it he almost became someone that you and I would have never heard of, who would have never done the things that he did, never affected the lives that he affected. He would have just been another life that comes and goes and never reaches their full redemptive potential. I'm curious, how many of you have ever noticed? Don't, don't be embarrassed if you haven't. Have you ever noticed that outside there in the lobby we have up on the wall, uh, we exist to help people reach their full redemptive potential? How many have, have ever noticed that outside in the lobby? You see, that, that's our mission statement. Let, let me unpack that a bit for you. We exist to help people reach their full redemptive potential. Not everybody reaches their full redemptive potential. By redemptive potential, we mean this. When a human being returns to Christ their creator in this life by putting trust in him and becoming his follower, now they can start to realize the potential that God created them to realize. We exist to help people reach their full redemptive potential. But not everybody does. Not everybody reaches their full redemptive potential. Not everybody returns to Christ their creator and trust and becomes his follower. And even those that do return to him and trust and become his follower, not all of us, let's be frank, let's be honest, not all of us make ourselves entirely available to him. Now let's pause right there and let's ask a question. If you are a Christ follower... Is there sufficient evidence that you're entirely available to him? Can he modify your schedule? Can he shake up the way you handle your time and talents and treasure? Can he change anything in your life that he wants? Can he tell you to go somewhere and serve somewhere and do something that you don't feel the slightest bit competent or comfortable doing? Or, or, or do you have a wall that, that you, you say, you know, I know that when certain subject matter comes up, it's not talking to me. It's not telling me to change. It's not calling me to change. Oh, no, God's got a special deal he's working with me that's, that's different than what he says clearly in his word. And so you compartmentalize because we can do this. We can all do this. Or are you entirely available to change anything in your life? that he wants you to change no matter how hard it is no matter how challenging it may be are you am I are we available 
We're, we're going to watch now the life of a man who becomes a great, great rescuer. And it's a fascinating thing because he starts out his life as one needing to be rescued himself. So the character is one you all probably know about, if nothing else, from Disney specials, Moses. Moses is the character we're looking at. And we want to start out by just looking at a verse from Exodus and we're going to see he goes from rescued. If we could just go back to that one more time. We're going to see that Moses starts out being rescued. He goes from rescued to royalty. So let's look at a verse. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile and let every girl live. And many of you, if not all of us, know the story that Moses' mom and sister, they get together, they conspire, they put Moses in this little floating basket and they push him down toward where Pharaoh's daughter was known to go down and I guess wash or whatever it may be. And sure enough, just as they had hoped and planned and probably prayed, Pharaoh's daughter sees the Hebrew child that was condemned to death because the male population was becoming frightening to the Egyptians. They were multiplying so fast that they thought these people will overwhelm us, and so they were letting the females live but killing the males. And so Pharaoh's daughter goes and takes Moses, this condemned child. Now I want you to think about this for a minute just because of who he was just because of the way he was born just because he was born a Hebrew and not an Egyptian just because he was born at that time in that place he was condemned to death but then when Pharaoh's daughter took him just that quickly his fortune entirely changed he went from being condemned to death to becoming a prince in Egypt he didn't deserve any of it. He didn't deserve to be condemned to death. He didn't deserve to become a prince in, prince in Egypt. But you got to think that that must have stuck in his mind all those years. All those years that he's being reared by the Egyptians as an Egyptian prince. It had to be going through his mind. I could have just as easily been dead. You, you people that are, that are treating me like I'm royalty. You people that are responding to my word. Taking orders from me. He was an Egyptian prince. He would have given orders. He would have had a lot of authority. He had to know in the back of my mind, you, you just as easily could have been my murderers. He was being raised, as it were, by his would-be murderers. Can you, can you conceive of the kind of tension, the kind of confusion, the, the kind of angst that Moses likely grew up with? Can you sense that he must have felt like this world that we live in, there's something dramatically wrong with it. This is not how life should be. One human being shouldn't be arbitrarily condemned to death just because someone else has the power to do it, and another, the next moment, raised to power just as arbitrarily just because they're adopted in to the right lineage. Moses, I want to suggest to you, likely grew up feeling like a misfit like an outsider never feeling like he really was at home anywhere he wasn't at home with his hebrew people because he had to live with the egyptians and he wasn't at home with the egyptians because he knew that he was not really an egyptian and they would have just as soon killed him and he had to watch day after day after day as little jewish babies were male babies were killed and there he was alive it's a lot to live with an awful lot to live with 
but he started out as one that himself was rescued, and I want to suggest that that probably motivated him, stirred him to some degree to want to be a rescuer of others. You know and I know, Jesus alluded to this. Remember the, the, the party that was broken up by the, the, she's just called the sinful woman. Jesus is at this party with this Pharisee and all of a sudden this lady breaks in the party and she's at Jesus' feet just weeping and tears are going all over his feet and she's kind of taking her hair and wiping his feet and Jesus turns to the people that were kind of thinking harshly of Jesus because he allowed such a sinful woman to touch him at all. And he says, you know why? You know, you know what it is? She loves much because she was forgiven much. Some of us in here that have more awareness of what God rescued us from maybe tend to be a little more motivated to want to bring rescue to others doesn't always work out that way but it can maybe that played into Moses developmental stage so we watch his developmental stage he goes from being rescued to becoming royalty and it was all kind of arbitrary look at a verse from the New Testament that kind of speaks to the the almost arbitrary context of a lot of life in other words we all have things that we don't deserve both good and bad we're given things we never earned we have bad things happen to us that we don't deserve as well but in first corinthians 4 7 it says for who makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you did not what is the word receive listen you and i could have been born at a different time in history uh, with a different physiological condition or a different mental capacity uh, we could have been born at a time when war was raging and, and all of our circumstances in our life would have been so different what do you have that you did not receive and if you did receive why do you boast as though you did not Moses knew he didn't deserve to be a prince Moses knew he was essentially a dead man walking and so this is a a tough tough developmental period of his life how do you live with people who are treating you like royalty but you know they just as well would be your murderers and your own people are being targeted day after day after day and you're pretty much powerless to do anything about it that was stage one in Moses life the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 23 it tells us that that first era of Moses' life from being rescued to becoming royalty, that that lasted for 40 years. 40 years, that's how he lived. But then one day it says that everything changed. And that takes us to the next stage of his life where he goes from royalty to a refugee. And that's kind of the heart of the message today. Let me share a scripture with you. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he's 40 years old when this occurs. Acts 7.23 tells us he's 40. He went out to where his own people, meaning the Hebrews, were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian. Now, you talk about questionable beginnings, questionable beginnings. Moses, who becomes this extraordinary rescuer, 
This, this individual that because of his own willingness to be used by God, his own availability to God, multitudes are able to have the opportunity to reach their full redemptive potential, to live life fully. He starts out as somebody condemned and then kind of miraculously brought into royalty, but then he's a murderer. Now, you know, we, we can just read this and let it go. And you say, well, he wasn't exactly a murderer. He was just kind of defending the Hebrew guy. And it's true, we would have called it manslaughter today. But the point is, this man that God chose to be perhaps one of the greatest rescuers of all of human history, he didn't start off very well. He started off being educated, first of all, in the learnings, it says in Scripture, of all the ways of the Egyptians. It would have meant all their false teaching about gods and goddesses and so forth. But nevertheless, it was the highest academic uh, education that he could have in the world of that day. But it didn't prepare him at all for what God was calling him to. So he kills the Egyptian, and now he has to run for his life. So this takes us to this next stage. If I could go on. In Isaiah 41.10, it says this. Now, he's running to Midian. He, he doesn't know who he is anymore. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's just trying to survive. He is a man on the run. And he probably doesn't have any sense whatsoever that God's with him. But we know, because we can look back, that God was with him the entire time, that God's hand was always on his life. Isaiah 41 reminds us those times when we are on the run when we don't feel like God is with us, when we maybe even feel like he's turned his back on us, that we're all on our own, and maybe somebody in here feels that way even this morning. It says in Isaiah 41, it says, do not fear, for I am, what does it say? With you, with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the next era of Moses' life, where he goes from royalty to refugee, it tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 30, that it lasts for another full 40 years. Moses is 80 years old. He's a shepherd. He's been living for 40 years now as a shepherd in Midian. Let me tell you something about shepherds, the way that Egyptians looked at them. They despised shepherds. They, they thought it was the lowliest trade that anybody could have because when you hung out with sheep, you started smelling like sheep. And the Egyptians were real sensitive about smells and scents and so forth. And so here he went from being a prince. Picture somebody at the highest pinnacle of the political realm of the day, the most powerful nation, to being suddenly thrown down to the very lowest realm. He's, he's a murderer on the run, and he's a humble, forgotten shepherd. He's living in Midian, uh, a nowhere, and he's a no one for 40 years. Now, here's the interesting thing. What, is, what was God's original intention for Moses? I mean, God knew all along what he was going to do, that this man was going to be the greatest rescuer, perhaps, that ever lived. To rescue people, to rescue the Israelites... Moses was going to have to be somebody that knew what it was to do what needed to be done even when you weren't getting support from those you were trying to rescue. He, he had to be someone that could do what needed to be done, what had to be done to run toward danger instead of away from danger even when no one appreciated it or no one cared and even when the ones that he was trying to rescue were literally opposing him, fighting against him and he's begging them to do what is right to save themselves but they wouldn't listen. So 
How do you get development for that? All the learning of, of the Egyptians doesn't prepare you for that. It gives you academic abilities and things of the day. But what can build you up inside so that you can be a man, you can be a woman that stands alone with God, runs toward danger, even when it's not appreciated, even when those you're trying to rescue are literally trying to push you away and turning against you, what kind of internal development has to occur and how can it occur before we can become that kind of a person well shepherding shepherding you see the shepherd those 40 years he spent as a shepherd he was watching over those sheep 24 7 they need 24 7 concern care they have to be watched all the time they have to be penned very carefully and protected at night they have to be led every day they have to be fed carefully they get into trouble all the time they get upside down they fall off cliffs they get you know in places with ravenous uh, animals that they shouldn't so you have to be ready to rescue the sheep at all times you have to lead them you have to feed them you have to constantly care about them and how many of you know that the sheep don't care <laughs> The sheep don't give you a lot of thanks. Might give you some wool, but that's about it. We don't like this side of development. We would like, I would like, <laughs> to pray a prayer and have God just kind of zap me and transform me to be this wonderful, sacrificially loving, Christ-like person. I've tried it doesn't work <laughs> I've prayed those prayers I've made those desperate surrenders to God but that is not his methodology his methodology is actually to use processes to build character and the processes are often confusing to us and they often feel counterintuitive and they often feel like anything but what we would want we're in the wilderness we're disoriented we're distressed we, we don't like where we're at we don't like what's happening we don't like what we're doing can somebody hear me right now you, you don't like what you're doing and you don't like where you're at and you feel, don't feel like God's with you you just feel like you're on the run you're just trying to survive and nothing's making much sense to you and nothing is satisfying to you and you're wondering when is this going to end is it ever going to end maybe this is how I end my life and you have no direct sense that God is actually taking you through a developmental process if you if I will be teachable and faithful during the time but he was you see you can't you can't get the kind of character to do the kind of rescue work that God wanted Moses to do overnight that kind of character takes time it takes investment it took 40 40 years of investment and ironically when God finally feels like Moses is ready at age what again 80 is there anybody in here 80 years old can I see your hand God bless you don't you feel like it's too late for God to do something wonderful in you and through you because God essentially said when Moses was 40 nah you're not ready you're too young whippersnapper <laughs> but then he called him when he was 80 and by the way God gives him another 40 years he lives to be 120 the scripture says that he died with full vigor that's the ride I want man I want to be you know I'd like to just wait till Jesus returns is what I'm hoping for but if nothing else I'd like to have full vigor right until the end but God thought now you're ready Moses now you're ready now that takes us to the next stage from refugee to rescuer 
rescuer. That was always God's intention. That was always God's destiny from, from being a refugee. He was on the run. He was living in a strange land. He was a stranger in a strange land, running for his life, but he was meant to always be a rescuer. Now, here's what's fascinating. When God finally comes to him at this stage, he's 80 years old, Moses doesn't even care anymore. At 40 years old, he wanted to deliver his people, the Israelites. He thought they would understand. You read the book of Acts chapter 7. It says when Moses went out there and tried to, you know, protect the Israelite from that, that Egyptian, he thought that the Israelites would recognize, I, I'm here to, to help you. You know, I'm here to deliver you. But now he's 80, he doesn't even care. He doesn't care at all. He's fascinated with a burning bush, and he's drawn toward it. And God, first of all, calls Moses to himself. Listen, anytime God's going to do something in our life and through our life, he first has to call us close. You, 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 can't, you can't have God's work deep and dramatically transformational in your life, in your soul, and then through your life, unless you're interested enough in God that when he bids you come close that you come close I, I'm trying to say that if we're not sufficiently interested in God when he urges us come close and he urges us to come close now we have it comprehensively revealed to us in his word particularly through the life of Christ he urges all of us to come close but you can't experience his transforming power in you nor through you unless you first come close let's look at what happens Exodus 3 4 when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look this is the burning bush God called to him from within the bush Moses Moses and Moses said here am I it starts with that now let's, let's get real personal for a moment we all know who we are don't we we all know how we really live don't we we all know how we really use our time don't we we, we all know what really stirs us and excites us and energizes us don't we the God who created the entire universe the God that revealed himself in all of his sacrificial love for each of us in the Lord Jesus Christ that God right now and you know it because it's resonating in your spirit if you're open at all that God is saying just as clearly as he said to Moses from the burning bush come here come here but it's not Moses Moses it's calling your name it's calling my name he's saying Randy Randy you put your name in it and the only question becomes are you and I sufficiently interested to draw close to him because until we draw close to him he can't continue with what he wants to do through us has he had trouble has he had trouble getting you to come close has he had trouble getting you to modify your schedule to come close has he had trouble getting you to study his word where he wants to reveal himself the most to us and speak to us has he has he had trouble sufficiently getting our attention so that we might consider modification of our schedule so that a portion of this life he gives us we might make available 
back to him because he calls us to be his rescuers his connection to the messianic rescue program so the Lord said I have seen indeed he's aware of the sufferings of the Israelites under the Egyptians he says I have seen indeed the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering how many of you know that God sees people that are lost apart from Christ and he is concerned for them how many know that can I see your hands he really cares how many of you know this that he is not going to reach them unless you and I become his instruments. How many of you know that? Can I see your hands? Evangelism is not just something. Evangelism is the very heartbeat. It's the very pulse of God who is the ultimate rescuer. He wants to rescue and reach anyone that is rescuable and reachable. And he wants you and I to be his rescuers. He says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. It goes on. So I have come down to do what? To rescue, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And then it turns quickly. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God said, I will what? I'll be with you. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I am teaching them to obey everything that I command you. And I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. So get this. God says, he says, I'm so concerned about my people that I've come down to rescue them. Moses, I'm sure to that point, was like, okay, that's great. So I'm sending you. Oh, oh, that's different. But then God says, but, but I'll go with you. You're, you're not going to be you know, hung out on a line. You're not going to be by yourself. I'm going to be with you. But I'm sending you. I wonder how many of us can personalize that. You, you, you see, and I, I, I don't want anybody to go out of here with a heavy heart. I know you, you're struggling with all kinds of things. And those things are all important as well to the heart of God. But here's the truth that I know about life at this point. Sometimes the fastest path to your healing, my healing, is when I am willing to become a conduit of God for someone else's healing and rescue. Can can you hear what I'm saying? If I stay too absorbed in my own struggles and pain it doesn't help me to get whole it seems to hinder me from getting whole and and so this notion of being rescuers to others when you're made feel man i'm the one that needs to be rescued randy and you're putting another burden on me i i don't mean it like that but i want you to at least consider maybe instead of it being a burden maybe it's the path to a, a faster path to your healing and help to you uh, as you become an agent of rescue to someone else you see we all have a certain certain circle of influence that god's given to us you've got your friends and family members or work associates people that know you know like that you have a certain field you are a shepherd over a certain flock and and that's all god wants you to do is tend your flock pray for those people that are in your circle of influence communicate with them serve them seek any ways that you can to be a bridge between them and christ and the truth about god and the truth about life that will take risks 
but it's something that's doable and more importantly God says I'm sending you but I'm going to be with you I'm going to be with you let's go on Proverbs 24 what a powerful verse what if we all took this one as our life verse Proverbs 24 11, it says go and rescue the perishing be there what does it say Remember, the Messiah, the Savior, is the rescuer, and we are his body, so we are rescuers. We are meant to be saviors once we're saved, once we're rescued. Moses was rescued and becomes a rescuer. Go and rescue the perishing. Be their Savior. Why would you stand back and watch them stagger to their death? So Moses, his next 40 years, becomes the rescuer of the Israelite people leads them into becoming a nation, uh, goes through multiple hardships with them. They never appreciate him. They turn on him 10 times. They want to stone him at different times. They turn on him and they turn on God. And yet Moses just keeps on serving them, keeps on leading them, keeps on caring for them right up until the very end of his life. Now I want to show you something that I hope will make this whole message a little more personal where you and I can measure uh, these stages that Moses went through as potential stages of our own life let's start with the first stage royalty Moses started out as royalty he was a, an Egyptian prince royalty do you and I ever experience a royalty stage in our life well kind of listen when you were a baby when I was a baby people just when we just, you know, we have a gas pain and they think we're smiling and they just go crazy. Oh, look, he's smiling. He's smiling. We're not smiling. We just got a gas pain. We're babies. But when we're babies, we can do no wrong. Oh, we're so cute. And everybody wants to just focus their attention on us. They do everything for us. They serve us like we're princes. We don't do anything for ourselves. We have everything done for us. We have slaves, but we start out our life as babies and sometimes it lasts all the way up all the way up until maybe 11 12 maybe even 13 we're just kind of treated like princes and princesses everyone's doing for us everyone's caring for us everything we do is wonderful everything is you know just we're just cute 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 and wonderful 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 but then this has some consequences you see when, when I'm in that royalty stage, my tendency is to be selfish and to feel entitled. I have to be careful. I think this way. I matter, and I expect to be treated that way. Others matter to the degree that they are useful to me. Now, you can get stuck in that stage. I'm, I'm just curious. How many of you know some people that they think life is utterly and completely all about them how many know people like that and they expect to be treated that way and you and I are only useful uh, or as we are useful to them that, that's our only value you can get stuck in that stage let me go to the second stage the refugee stage and this usually happens around junior high we don't have junior high anymore we call it middle school now my day was junior high um, 12 years old you know we went from elementary school in those days to, to junior high but anyway around 12 or 13 life seems to start to change we're not so cute anymore we're in an awkward stage we start trying to figure out ourselves in life and we experience some rejection and some hurts and we collide with our caretakers and parents and all that kind of thing. anyway it's a little disorienting and it's a little bit of a distressing time 
and our thoughts go like this I doubt that I matter and I expect to be treated that way when Moses was in Midian I guarantee you he was thinking I obviously don't matter at all and I'm sure that's the way he lived his life from that perspective he expected to be treated like he didn't matter and I matter to the degree that I am useful to others we, we start to question our, our, our intrinsic value. A human being is intrinsically valuable because we were created by Christ, for Christ, and Christ died for us. That's how we get our self-esteem stabilized, not through what we do or what we achieve or what our popularity is. But that's the refugee stage. Maybe some of you are in the refugee stage now. Remember, he was 40 years in Midian, disoriented, distressed, not happy, not sure what was going on, but it was a developmental time. God was building him up for a future, uh, very effective life. And then the third stage, the rescuer stage. Now, this is a mature stage. At the rescuer stage, we're selfless. It's not about us anymore. We, we just don't need much anymore. God is so filling us that we just don't need much. We are alive to give and to serve. We're mission-driven. That, that, that fire chief that I started talking about, why did she go out? and put her own life in danger and by the way she was trapped on the highway a boulder was there and she almost lost her life in that fire she did lose her house as I said but why do people do that why do our first responders these wonderful people our, our military our police our firefighters our nurses and our doctors our EMT people why do they go out and risk life and limb for complete strangers day in and day out because their life is a mission they are mission-driven. They are principle-operated. It's not about whether we appreciate it or deserve it. They do it because of who they are and a mission that they've embraced. The rescuer stage is a selfless, mission-driven stage. And here's the way our thoughts go. I matter to God. I know I matter to God. Moses knew he mattered to God. God was talking to him personally. Moses, I want you to go and do this. I'm with you. I'm going to stick with you. I matter to God and so do you. I know that I matter to God and so do other people. This is a very different frame of mind. My usefulness to God and to you matter to me. I really, really care about being useful to God. And I really, really care about being useful to you. And I'm talking sincerely now, me personally. That, that's a stage of maturity when we get to the rescue, rescuer stage. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, rescuer is like a bad thing relationally, Randy. You know, you, you pick the wrong people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something completely different. Helping people that are apart from Christ, we become bridges so that they can reach their full redemptive potential. Now, let me share you a verse to show you how this ends for Moses 40 years many of you know the story it was a tough tough ride the Israelites never appreciated him like I said but all of a sudden Moses shows up 1500 years later he's very alive he's on the mount where Jesus was transfigured you might remember the scene where all of a sudden he let his inner deity shine out through his skin the light was blindingly white um, the disciples you know are shocked when they see Jesus inner divinity but it says two men 
Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. They too are in blinding white light, evidently, talking with Jesus. Now, now let me tell you about Elijah. Elijah had died about 900, or excuse me, Elijah had not died. Elijah, about 900 years earlier, had left the earth. He did not die. He was taken up into a vehicle into heaven and has been there so here's Moses 1500 years earlier he died Elijah 900 years earlier had been taken up in a vehicle into heaven and they're very very much alive and they're talking with Jesus now there could have been a lot of other people that were in heaven talking with Jesus and they're talking to him about his soon departure they spoke about his departure meaning the cross which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem those are pretty prestigious positions that Elijah and Moses had. But we're talking about Moses today, not Elijah. And here's what I want you to understand. Moses almost missed out on being there. Moses, like I said at the start of this message, he almost became a person that you and I would have never heard of, never thought about, never known about. His existence, for all practical purposes, would have been forgotten. He wouldn't have been the grand rescuer that God clearly sees him to be. Let me show you how close he came. That conversation when God was talking to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to go down and rescue the Israelites, so I'm sending you, but I'm going to go with you. That conversation continued through chapter 3, through chapter 4. You read it sometime on your own, but I'm going to show you what happened. Moses five expressions of inadequacy when God said I want to send you Moses like uh uh-uh man not me you got the wrong guy I'm I'm just a stupid shepherd I've been you know 40 years in Midian I no longer care about that kind of thing it's not who I am anymore Uh, I'm too old I'm too tired I'm too you know here's what happened Exodus 311 Moses says to God who am I to go to Pharaoh? He's saying, You're, God, I'm not significant enough. I can't go to the king of the most important nation in the world. I, I'm, I'm a nobody. Second thing he says, Exodus 3.13, what if they ask me your name, God? I don't even know you. I don't even know your name. What, what if they ask me your name? Third thing he says, what if they don't believe you called me? He, say, he says, you know, I can't do this. They're not going to believe me. I have no credibility with them. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 10, I'm not a good communicator. I'm of slow speech. I'm not the guy for the job. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the gifting necessary to do this. And then his final, he says this. You read it on your own. Please, he says to God, you read it out loud for me. He literally said that. God wouldn't do it. No, I'm not going to send someone else, Moses. I'm sending you. I want to take a drift. Bear with me. And I hope I don't offend anybody here. We are living at a time in human history where the powers of darkness are pulling out all the stops to slaughter our children. They're slaughtering them physically in some cases, but they're slaughtering them mentally and philosophically in ways like never, ever before. Our children, our children in the educational systems of our country 
are going to be deluged with teaching that they have nine, maybe even 27 different selections that they must make about their sexuality. That's a lie from hell that's going to destroy, deceive, and confuse these kids. God made a man and a woman. That's it. He does not, never did, never will give us the choice of our sexuality. And our children are going to be deluged, and they are being deluged. They're being taught. You have 9, 10, 20, 27 different genders you can choose. This is Satan's last attempt to slaughter children before their souls and minds can develop. The second thing that's being done to our children, our children are being taught to think in terms of everything in life and everyone you meet in life racially. Our children are being brainwashed to be racist. The very definition of racism is to think about everyone and everything in terms of race. This is evil. This is from the pit of hell. This is set out to destroy our children. Randy, you're getting political. No, I'm not. I'm getting biblical. Folks, from the bottom of my heart, I believe we are very close to the return of Christ and our children are being attacked in a way that they've never been attacked in human history. Their souls, their minds, their, their thought, their power seeking to destroy them before they can form. There has never been a time ever in human history where there's a greater need for the people of God to be rescue, rescuers of our children and children's ministry. And this is not just a pitch for children's ministry. This is my heart to you. There has never been a time, I don't care who you are, how unqualified. You saw how Moses talked. He felt that he was unqualified. And God kept saying, no, 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 you're the guy. Go, go, go. Just, just be there. I'll be with you. Our children, this is the last shot, folks, to rescue our kids. And if we say this, if we say this, please send someone else. What if everybody says that? I am someone else. You are someone else. Our children need to be rescued. And I am literally begging some of you to open your heart to consider letting God take you on ventures that scare you and that you don't feel adequate for. I'm going to close with that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't just rescue us, but you then, you give us this extraordinary privilege, this opportunity to be rescuers of others. Lord, may your spirit stir and raise up heroes in here today. Let us not miss out. Moses almost missed out. May we not miss out. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?